Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. We're glad you're here. I'm Kevin McDonald, your host for this grand adventure, and I thank you for joining us. You see, our mission is to create a positive, personal connection to all things with courage and love. We invite terrific guests, interesting topics, and great conversation, all in a fun, entertaining way. And we always manage to learn something, too. So I hope you will stay right where you are for this episode of Positive Talk Radio. And welcome, everybody, to another episode of Positive Talk Radio. I hope everybody is well today. It is uh, the first of the year. And so, you know, this is one of those times of the year when you kind of dust off the things that uh, have bothered you for a long time. And it's a new opportunity to fix things and to get things going in the right direction. And given that, we've invited a wonderful gal who's going to be able to help you potentially do that. Her name is Jennifer, and I, if I screw this up, I apologize completely. Debellis? Yep, Debellis. Debellis, gotcha. Jennifer Debellis is with us. And Jennifer is, she's a teaching writer and assault trauma advocate. Jennifer is the author of Warrior Sister, Cut Yourself Free from Your Assault, as well as uh, um, Blood Sisters. She had its pink... Panther Magazine, an international women's art and literature journal in its 12th year and directs a RIFT Warrior Project in Detroit Writers Guild. When she's not editing or doing stuff for others, which she is doing a lot of that, she's working for herself and, and writing some great stuff. Jennifer, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks for having me, Kevin. I'm awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. So are you ready for a new year? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. The old year. <laughs> I feel like it's been two years that, you know, it's like, oh, so how's 2021 going to be? And it's like, well, wait a minute. It's not, we're not 2020 going into 21. It's, it's, it's only been one year. Exactly. Now it's 2022 and, uh, you know, it's the first of the year and a lot of people spend some time on New Year's Eve and shortly thereafter thinking about um, new ways of being, new ways of living and trying to get rid of some of the things that that have bothered them in the past and that they've carried with them. And you are an advocate for that for most women. And because, you know, statistically speaking, I think we've talked about this before, you yeah. and I, three out of four women have had some sort of physical, mental, sexual abuse of some kind in their life. And it, it tends to go with them and it carries through into many, many aspects of their lives. And it's, it's time to be done with that. Don't you think? I do. Yes, absolutely. How do you help people be done with that? Well, so the title of the book kind of informs that it's a, it's a metaphor, cut yourself free from your assault. It's that idea of, you know, carrying around the dead weight. And, you know, I talk about it in my book. I don't want to get into that too much about how um, it used to be a form of capital punishment for murderers. And they would carry around, you know, the, the dead weight of, um, of of the person that they murdered. And I feel like um, when I was thinking about assault and I was thinking about the trauma that many women carry throughout their life, uh, especially the older the woman is who I speak with, 
the more that trauma is just expected to just be carried. It's like, you know, that's my, it's, it's, I don't want to say a rite of passage, but it's almost like, that's my lot. So that's, that's the lot that I ended up in. And I'm just going to, I've dealt with it, you know, that way. But really a lot of people haven't dealt with it. They carry around that dead weight and they think that somehow it um, either has gone away on its own or um, that, you know, they don't, they don't know that they can cut themselves free from it. And uh, that's kind of what got me thinking about writing the book. And when I started looking at the statistics and I started touring around, I started noticing that there was a really young group of girls, particularly 14 to 24, who um, seemed to be struggling with it the most because it was you know, often recent things that had happened to them in their life. And so they were really in the trenches of raw trauma. And uh, I just started saying, you know what? These, this is our future. I want to see these women, these young women, become free of that and figure out how to get to that place. And there have to be a part of that. And so, um, you know, I de uh, developed a Rift Warrior project first, and then uh, then came the book. You know, I, want, I want people to think about that for just a second. You just said 14-year-old girls on up. And I'm sure that there are some that are actually even younger than that 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 have been abused by family members by people that they know people that they trust and that it's just um, it's just amazing to me that that we live in a society where that is there and then people say well you know okay well so that happened brush it under the table and and don't think about it anymore and and you should be able to get over it and and stuff like even even if or they're the people around them are in total denial that it's actually even going on, which is even a worse situation for the poor kid who has to live with that. I, it has yes. to be frustrating for you to, to, to know that there are so many people that are dysfunctional in our society based upon things that happen to them. It is. And it's, you just brought up another thing too. I was speaking with a, a friend yesterday Um and we were talking about uh, the different uh, trauma that I, the different assaults that I have in the book. And I said, you know, I picked a physical assault situation that happened in a high school. It was a, a, a boy had a, a assaulted me in front of a whole bunch of students, like at least 150 people. And no one did anything. And a couple teachers saw it. And uh, I carried that around, you know, my whole life. And it was it was a couple of years before I got over that that trauma. And the shame has never really left because you just you, you can't get over that. It's it's horrifying to be assaulted and it's it's amplified when people watch and they don't do anything. And you run into these people, you know, later in life and um, and you're always in the back of your head. You're like, you were one of those people who saw that that day and didn't do anything. And so uh, we were talking about that and he was horrified. He was like, well, what do you mean a teacher? What do you mean? And I said, oh, yeah. And I told him this whole story. And it's, it's a I probably should write the book uh, for that. And, uh, you know, just a, a nonfiction uh memoir kind of a situation but I he said the teachers didn't do anything no one did anything everybody just swept under the rug and I said well he was a football player and it was right before playoffs and they weren't going to um, do anything to their football player and they found a loophole and, and justified it and you know so there's layers to the the frustration so it's not just frustrating to to see it happen to other people and you know, I, I got through it. So I, I am free of it. And sometimes when I go back and I think about it, it's more, I'm not dealing with the trauma of it. I don't really have any triggers that are, that I know of that are attached to it. But I do, I do get that frustration that rises up in me because I say, 
I'm living, you know, 30 years later, 32 years after this attack, and nothing has changed in our society. That kind of stuff still happens, even though we have systems in place, we had systems in place back then, and these things still happen. And adults who could be doing something don't do anything in the midst of it happening or in the aftermath of it happening. They don't point people to the right direction. You get suck it up. Well, you know, put it behind you, forgive and forget. And it's like, you know, all these different catchphrases and things that everybody hides behind and it maybe sounds good and maybe they have good intentions. I don't know. I can't judge that. But, you know, it's it's more damaging than helpful to, um, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I would say probably a majority of people because that is the most unhelpful things that you can hear during that time when you feel like you're invisible and you feel like you're you know, full of shame and full of pain and full of all kinds of other things that you don't even know. You can't even put a name on them. I want to paint a picture for folks just to let them know how horrific a deal that was for you because there were 150 people surrounding you around this this quote-unquote fight between a football player. It just makes me sick. It makes me angry. Yeah. A football player attacking a, a girl, and they're cheering. And people are are uh, egging people on, and they're, and they're saying, yeah, no, oh, get it. And, and, and teachers are just standing by, and you're there totally alone by yourself having to deal with not only the shame of being attacked, but uh, the fact that nobody, not one of 150 people would stand up for you. Right. And his girlfriend was, you know, she was the only one trying to pull him off and he was shoving her off as we was kind of assaulting both of us at the same time. And at the time I didn't even know what he, why he was assaulting me. And so just to be like, Whoa, what, you know, what, I don't even have a relationship with this person. Uh, you know, what's happening. And, you know, to think about that teacher, you know, he didn't watch the whole thing. He walked by. I made eye contact with him. He saw it. I thought he was going into the other room to call or do something. And then the whole, you know, hall cleared when the when the bell rang. Everybody ran, scattered to class. And I was left there standing by myself. And I was like, what do I do? And the same teacher walked out and he goes, um, young lady, aren't you supposed to be in class right now? And it was just like, ah. I mean, it was like if I had any trust left in me for adults, uh, I, you know, that was, that was a really big, uh, blow to that trust. And then, you know, what happened in the, in the days to follow with the other adults who could have done something and did, it was just, you know, devastating, even, even the local police. And it was like, uh, you know, in the loophole, just to put context to it was, uh, I had left school, a friend, the friend who kind of started the whole thing by just talking about something that was way in the past, uh, had said, do you want me to get you out of here? And I was like, yeah, like I wasn't going to go to the office at that point because what are the adults going to do? I two, two or three of the teachers saw it happen and, um, and just kept walking, you know, kept walking by. And, uh, so I left the school and because I left the school, they were like, well, we won't, we won't suspend you, which is like a three day, you know, suspension, no credit for homework and stuff. And my grades were already kind of on the line. We won't suspend you either for doing something wrong. And it was like, that was the loophole. And it was just like, you know, I just realized that uh, I was lower class in that instance, you know, whether it was, and I was a tri uh, star athlete also. So it wasn't like I what didn't do things like that for the school. I, I you know, I performed as an athlete, uh, you know, throughout my high school career also. And so it was like, wow. So if you're a girl star athlete, like it doesn't matter. I didn't, you know, that didn't buy me anything. So. Oh, my uh, Lord. 
it's it, it's amazing to me that uh that something like that can can happen and you're you're a young woman this, this has not happened that long ago this isn't like the 1960s this is right. or the 50s this is the i'm guessing 80s or 90s nine early 90s yeah and that wasn't by the way folks now it's like a uh, gosh you know, in my preference, 1990 wasn't that long ago, but that was 30 years ago. I know. <laughs> it seems to me like that's like, that's the day before yesterday, but no, it's 30 years yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, I guess the only thing that came out of that was any good is that it motivated you to do what you're doing today. Which oh, absolutely. Is to, which is to help young women get out of, you can't necessarily help them from the situation that they find themselves in, but you can help them recover from it. And, oh, and absolutely. And to get, and to get past it. And how do you do that? I, yeah, I can't even imagine I'm a guy and I've been in fights and, and I was a boxer at one time and, and I got, got beat up as a boxer and stuff. And I, I accept those things, but if you're um, a woman and you're getting beat up by a guy, it, how, how do you, how do you help? other young women deal with the, the trauma and there's no other word for it. Trauma no, is the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And there's no one formula. I wish there was a formula because then you could just say, do this, this, and this, and we're, you know, you're going to be on the road. And so, you know, I, coming out of high school, I immediately went into coaching and I coached for years. So even as I was raising my own kids, I started big, programs, after school programs for girls. I loved working with, um, with, with, uh, you know, in the community with athletes. Uh, and as you do that, you work with young girls, no matter what age you were saying, like, so I say 14 to 24, I had girls coming to me who were nine, 10, 11. And, you know, and they were always like, you know, a friend of mine. And I'm like, that's smart, right? Don't tell me that anything happened to you because I have to report it. And so they would always come to me and say, you know, if I if I told you a friend of mine, this happened to her, you know, what would you say? And they started, so it was like the coaching became, you know, it's like a big sister kind of a, you know, big, big sister, little sister kind of a thing. Uh, and so I was immediately um, coaching other people on how to get past their trauma and and how to just, uh, and, and part of that is just rebuilding yourself. And so, you know, when, when you when you suffer an attack, and that's why I don't se- separate physical or sexual assault in the book, because at, as I've worked with assault survivors of all different types of abuse victims also, there's a lot of the same types of trauma. And I know women who have like suffered like gang types of assault situations who've rebounded much quicker than a girl who got punched in the face by a guy. You know, and so I don't want to, you know, put a judgment on, you know, which one was more severe or anything else. But I think we can all, you know, agree that we look at the one case that obviously the magnitude of the violence that was committed against that person was far more than just, you know, taking one blow to the face. And that trauma is different for every person and the recovery. Like, how do you let go of that? How do you get past it? And so one thing. I say there isn't a formula, but I will say one thing that is super powerful, and I've noticed it through every person I've worked with, I noticed it with myself, and I noticed it in all the research that I've done in the last three decades, is rebuilding yourself. And as you rebuild yourself, there is no formula for that because everybody starts in a different place. Some people have no self-confidence, no self-worth, 
And then some people have a lot of that and it takes a blow or it completely erases it. And then everybody's starting at a different point, but they're always starting at with the self. And so if you can start with the self and say, okay, you know, what, what is it that, uh, and sometimes it is creating barriers to protect yourself. You know, some people it's don't go around men of, you know, like, okay, if you can't be around, you know, men or the particular men who, um, have, you know, uh, either allowed these things to happen to you, or, you know, we have a lot of adults who are supposed to protect us and try to protect us from these types of things or the authorities or whoever else, um, contributed to those things, then, okay, take a step back. You know, it's okay to put yourself in a little bit of a protective bubble to say, okay, just stay away from certain people or even people in your family who say those things that you know are not helpful and, you know, just get over it. And I thought you were already depressed and over it already. And it's like, well, yeah, now I'm pissed off. <laughs> I did. I worked through all of that. I'm through the shock. I'm through the pain. I'm through the depression. And now I'm angry. And you got to let me work through that. And, and so, you know, and that's another thing. You have all these different grief stages and it just depends on where you are and, and which one of those stages could be overlapping because you could be depressed and angry, you could be in pain and, and depressed, and there's all these things, and you could still be, you know, experiencing moments of shock, but you're already in the recovery part of grief. And so these things can keep coming back up. And, you know, some people have to work a lot harder to get through, you know, particular things. You could have triggers. I know there's been instances for me where I was like, okay, I'm like, I'm 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 so much better. I'm I'm over it. And then I start a new job and there's a toxic guy. And he just triggers something in the workforce. And I'm like, and I don't know right away. You know, I'm not, we're not always experts in our own interactions and our own psychotherapists to say, oh, well, you did that or you felt that way because this person did that. So sometimes you have to like come back from it and go, why the heck did that person just set me off? Or why did they creep me out? Or, you know, whatever that reaction is that you're having, why is it triggering me um, back to this, this uh, trauma? And then, you know, hopefully then when you do have those things happen, you just, again, you've got to, you've got to put in the work. No one can do that for you. So that's the one thing is you have to go to self and figure out some of those things to rebuild yourself and get tools. I'm not saying like, I think therapy and group sessions and having great, great people in your life doesn't have to be just women. I've had some really great men in my life who have spoken really wise and compassionate things to me and have given me an opportunity to redeem, you know, uh, <clears throat> trust and faith in men. And um, those people were instrumental in, in my recovery. And it wasn't just like, you know, one instance, it was all these different interactive relationships and things. And, um, and then there were things that were not healthy and were counteractive. And so you just have to go out there and figure out and then be willing to say, like, oh, that I tried it, but and everybody else says they love this particular thing, but that particular thing was not helpful to me at all. And you have to be willing to say, I'm not going to do that anymore. Or I'm going to try it another time. But, you know, so again, that's a self-reflection. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to step back and I'm going to try something else. And it's sometimes a discovery of, you know, what, what will work. <laughs> Are you familiar with uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross? She, yes, she I, the, go ahead. No, so I, I reference her in the book, but go ahead. Yeah, and she wrote the book Five Stages of Grief. Yes. And we go through that when we go through trauma. Is there the five stages of grief still present? So, yes and no. So, I came up with eight stages of grief because oh. I, so in my book, I feel like um, some of her 
some of her uh, stages are <clears throat> kind of centered around losing a loved one. And right. so there are things that, you know, we have to go through, uh, a, you know, a, a grieving process for different types of trauma in our lives. And one of them would be losing somebody who's close to us. So we have to now try to figure out how to live without that person. And so her grief stages are centered on that. And she's actually changed them over the years because she's also done additional research. She's also worked with additional um, clients and, uh, and uh, psychotherapists. And, and learned like, okay, maybe I'll adapt this a little bit. I think she bumped it up to seven. And so mine, I took some of them and combined them. And then I came up with other ones that were completely unique to, because uh, you've got like, so she does, I, I do a couple of them, I pair them together because I'm like, these kind of work together. Like, you know, shock and denial is often that first response that you have is like, Oh, right. Is this happening? And it's often not just the first response, but the initial responses in the trauma as it's being triggered. People are asking you to repeat. What do you remember? You know, all these different questions. And it's just like you just keep going through that. And then you've got, you know, that moment of, OK, I'm, uh, you know, so her, so hers are I'm sorry, I'm, I'm looking at something and it's like distracting me. So hers are shock, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, testing and acceptance. And so some of those are, um, again, crossover. We all can say, you know, okay, the shock and denial. I, I grouped those into one because I think they're, they kind of keep playing off each other. And it was really hard for me when I started talking about it in the book to, to separate them. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to put these together as, you know, this is, um, this is one. And then pain is another, but the pain is different because you've got physical pain also that you don't have when you lose a loved one necessarily. And then you've got a lot of emotional and psychological pain. Uh, but then you also have this recall thing that happens that doesn't necessarily happen when you lose a loved one because you want to recall. <laughs> you want to remember all those memories. You, that, that's, that's a huge part of um, like outside of the trauma in the grieving is uh, remembering keeping that spirit and that, those memories alive, where in, in this, you're recalling because you can't help it, but that can be helpful in some regards because you do need to deal with, you know, is there something I need to take away from here? Is there something in continuing to remember this that I can help myself, even if it's just to identify what a trigger is so that I can learn how to navigate that trigger because we can't stop living in the world. So like I had to learn how to live around um, toxic men. And I don't, I mean, I say that like now it's a term, right? But I didn't know that that was a term, but there was a very specific kind of, and I just, someone just rose up yesterday and started being toxic on a Facebook post. And I was like, uh, <laughs> I don't even know you. And, you know, I was like, Hey, right. We didn't, cause he was like, Oh, I'm, I'm not a warrior. I'm against war. Let live and let live. And he was commenting on my book. And I was like, clearly you don't know what the book's about, but I was like, yeah, well about, about survivors. They have to become the warrior and the hero who saves their own shaken world. And they didn't invite the war that was waged against them and their body. But now they have to, right. They have to figure out how to live and let live while they also live and thrive and, you know, in the healthiest form that they can. And I just thought, that person, that was a recall thing for me over and over and over again. And I had to learn how to um, deal with that trigger because I couldn't go out into the world and live my best, healthy, confident life if that trigger was constantly making me shut down, making me embarrassed and ashamed, cower in a corner, leave an event. You know, so, so for me, it was really important to say that recall. 
was really important. So I, I know it was a digression, but I, I wanted to kind of establish that. But then guilt and shame, which often comes with the recall. I, I group those together because they're not identical, but they seem to feed off each other and they get confused and interchanged. And then the anger and then the depression, which is often like anger's hangover. <laughs> It's like you have a sugar high and a sugar low. And then acceptance and hope, which isn't um, like, oh, I've accepted that bad things happen to me, which a lot of times in our current culture, that's what people say, is not that, is that it's this making peace with it and then a hope that you have a, a new future. And then I add the recovery part because I feel like you can't go through a bunch of stages and then like you, you end on hope. What do you do after that? It's like people saying, well, we'll just pray about it. Like, no, we have to do action. <laughs> like, okay, yes, obviously, let's, right? You know, I'm a faith person, let's pray about it. But then it's like, then what am I going to do? Like, what am I supposed to do? What are my next steps? And so I didn't want to leave it. I felt like as I was working with it, I was like, this isn't done. This is kind of like, it just ends abruptly. And so I came up with the recovery saying that now you have to you're taking these things you have to have a plan and sometimes that recovery is repeating some of the other trauma steps because they come up so um, they'll continue to get triggered for you back and forth like that. <laughs> right well you know i have a friend <laughs> i'm gonna say it i have a friend and uh this uh, this young girl was in a <clears throat> religion that is particularly in one way and she lives in salt lake city that'll give you an idea and uh, and uh, she was assaulted by family members when she was a kid, and um, and it was not a one-off; it was a repeated thing on several people. And and at the same time, they were considered revered men of God, yeah. and were and and she had to continue. I don't know how you do that. Continue to be around people that you know have assaulted you are being considered revered for who they are presenting, not who they really are, but who they're presenting, and you have to deal with that. That has to be the most horrific thing I can imagine having to go through. It It is. And um, so, and that's another thing I was just talking about yesterday, actually. Uh, I love it when you have conversations that keep carrying over into new conversations. Uh, but so I was talking about this very thing and uh, I was, I'm reading another book about caste society and it's been super eye opening. And I was making a lot of connections about within our culture about the hierarchy of, you know, who has the power and what happens with that power and how all the rules and how the way the rules are enforced are imposed by that power and they don't apply to the same levels in the hierarchy and uh and so it got me really thinking about the book and uh, about my my next book that i'm working on also and i was thinking about how um i had to go back and face these people at school also you know so it was um i, I had to go back i had to face these people i had to go to parties i had to um, at one point, one of my assaulters was in a close circle of friends of mine. And even when my now husband, we were going one time and my friend said, Hey, I just want you to know so-and-so is going to be there. If you don't want to come, I completely understand. She's much closer friends with, with me than she was with this other person. But she was like, I just want you to know, like, I totally get it. If you back out, I didn't know his friends with her brother and her older brother. And she said, I, I completely get it. And I was like, huh, let me think about that. 
because I was like, I don't really know how I feel about it. And I really didn't know how my husband was going to feel about it. We were just dating at the time, but I was like, you know, what I don't need is my hot-headed husband to like beat the crap out of this guy. Although part of me would take a little pleasure in it. But this was a guy who was like, everybody just was like, he's such a nice guy. He's such a nice guy. Nobody believed he could do this horrible thing. And, and so, um, I, you know, my husband knew all this. He knew the whole thing about the nice guy and I'd made peace with it and everything. I kept seeing this guy over and over and over in the, in the neighborhood. He was dating a girl that was like, I you know, kept running into him, lived by my parents. And I was like, God, I can't get away from him. And so even after high school, I couldn't get away from him. And, uh, we go to this party and I'm seeing, you know, I'm just really nervous because I'm like, I'm not going to let him keep me back. You know? I don't know. When you're a teenager and somebody hosts a party, you're like, I am not missing the party of the summer because, you know, this jerk's going to be there. And I'm like, the place is big enough. I can dip out, whatever. Well, my husband is actually um, talking to him and everything else. And he actually said, he was like, yeah, there was a part of me that I wanted to just snap his neck. And, you know, when we first got, got there, but he was like, I can see where everybody says he just really is a nice guy. And it was just like, right. And so <laughs> I think what, allowed me to go to school with these guys and what the same thing I've had conversations with with um with young women and, and young girls who have been you know molested and violated in their own families and in um, men of God is that at a really young age uh, uh, I don't it was a woman in my family said um, and she was a great woman of God she said you know Jennifer you've got to be able to separate the man from his from his actions. If we look at anybody, we can, she wasn't dismissing abuse at this point. She was, she was talking about something else, but it stuck with me. She said, you know, one thing that someone does doesn't identify their whole character. And I'm not saying that these men who are men of God who did this to this girl or that, but it was this, this challenge for me to say, okay, I'm going to look at someone and say, okay, are they a dimensional person? Do they have other qualities? You know, are they a brother, a, a, a friend, a, um, someone else's consensual partner, whatever. Um, and so I had to look at them as human beings. And there are times where I couldn't be around them. There are, there are men who, like, I, I just left a church not too long ago because um, one of the guys was saying to me, and I was in a situation where I was alone with him doing a volunteer thing. And he said, well, he heard about my book and we we're talking back and forth. And he goes, well, do you think there's forgiveness for the men who, who rape girls? And you know, that's really weighed on my heart. And I'm thinking, oh my God, he's confessing to me. And I'm like, I just sent my husband home because it was the middle of the night and we, we were, I was waiting for my relief to come. And I was like, part of me was like, oh my God, I'm right. There are adults in the other room. Like I'm not, and now I'm a different person now. I'm a, you might try to overpower me and maybe you will succeed, but you are going to walk away with some marks, man. Cause I am not the same person. And so I'm like, I'm like looking at him, I'm listening and I'm just like, but then it just dawned on me that, you know, here are men who, you know, some of them have remorse. They carry that around with them. They never make amends. They never say they're sorry. And I don't know what that feels like. I don't know what that side of it feels like. And to be honest, I care about their humanity and I care about their trauma, but that's not my gig. And so I can't get, it's like, okay, God, you need to send somebody else for them because I, I don't, all right. I don't want to inherit because you know, like when you have empathy for other people, you carry a little bit of that, that, you know, hurt in you. And I'm like, I don't want to feel that hurt. I don't want to walk through that if I don't have to 
and and then be on both sides of this. That to me is like this is not a conflict of interest, but I was like, it kind of feels like a conflict of interest. I hope you make peace with those things, especially if it happened 40 years ago. Um, but uh, more importantly, that's not what my work is doing. And uh, I, I, but it made me think about something too. You talk about the men of God, and it's not just everywhere. Is that imagine every room you're in that has men in it, like more than a handful of men, there are like past and present and future perpetrators in that room. That, it, it just, it, like if you, if you allow it, it'll just make you just mortified and a little bit scared to navigate a room thinking, oh, like you're thinking who in here can't, right? Can't be trusted or has done something horrible. Um, and so for these people, I think, you know, there's a lot of going back to um, reading this book about the caste system has really um, helped me kind of get a handle on thinking about these people who are heavily, or, you know, are highly regarded as, you know, these, you know, stable pillars in our communities who do these horrific things. And some of them without consequence and they have no remorse and they'll do it again and they've done it again and again. And I think that's the type, you know, I think some of those type of men are what you're talking about for your friend. And I think that it'll take a long time to rebuild our system and we've got to tear a few things down. And one of them is we cannot uh, be bystanders. We cannot, and so that is the one constant. If I think about like that situation, you know, darn well there were, were adults who knew about it. And when I think about, I mean, just think about the Nasser case and all of these athletes who are coming forward now and all the name dropping of all the adults. I mean, we're talking about an entire athletic community, not just a couple of people who enabled this guy. And it was somehow okay because these athletes were assets. They weren't human beings that deserved to not be violated because that was just par for the course that we needed this guy or whatever. We need them. And um, just, you know, so how, how do we, I don't know how to help those people per se, how to, or how they can navigate that room. I can say that I've been able to do that and it just takes some horse blinders <laughs> to just be like, um, I, I don't want to miss out, right? I don't want to have, um, what do you call it? FOMO. <laughs> so, can I put the blinders on and just go and enjoy some of the people and just totally avoid those people? And for me, that's been the case. I don't think I've ever asked anybody this question, but I'm going to ask you because you're extremely bright. And I think that you maybe will have an answer for me when you're talking about men. Is it, is it their sexual drive that overtakes them? Is it the overtakes them overtakes us? Is it our sexual drive? Is it our pain? Is it our anger? What is it that drives what otherwise might be considered a decent human being to do some of these despicable acts against women? What is what is the driving force behind that? I think it's a it's a cultural like it's it's a it's a few things that are weaved together and i don't think every person has the same motives but you know like if you ask somebody you know is rape a sexual violation and I, most people will say it's oh it's just about power and i would argue that i would argue that it's definitely about power 
don't get me wrong, but it's not like there's definitely that sexual component there when it is a sexual violation. So, you know, if somebody's just, you know, there's all different types of assault. So if somebody just physically assaults someone, you know, roughs them up or batters them in some way, and there's no, you know, evidence of sexual thing, then that we can say, right, that was a, you know, someone overpowering someone else for a different reason. But if we talk about like the, the sexual violations that happen, I think a lot of things. I think, um, you know, and this is so one of my, well, both of my next self-help books kind of touch into these topics a, a lot more um, in depth. But one thing is we have established rape culture. Not just, you know, you hear people talk even in the church. Uh, it's, it's very prevalent in the church. You know, boys will be boys. That came <gasps> from the church. And can so. I, can I interrupt you right there? Yeah. Because there's something that just irritates the hell out of me. And, uh, and I don't understand it. Uh, the evangelical Christian movement. Do you remember when Donald Trump was running for president? Yes. In that in that uh, um, RV. Uh, motor home in mm -hmm. the RV and he was making statements like I can do anything I want and yeah. I can kiss them. I can grab them. I can do anything that I choose to do. And there's not a thing they can do about it. And the, yeah. the evangelical people that they interviewed after afterward were like, Oh, well, you know, boys will be boys. And I, you know, that in my mind, that, that needs to go away. This, here's this thing, go yes. ahead. No, you just finish what you're saying. Absolutely. Because, because the thing about boys will be boy. I was an athlete when I was a kid. may not look like it now, but I was an athlete when I was a kid. I was in locker rooms from the time I was, I don't know, 13 to 25. I never, ever, ever, not once did I ever hear anyone talk like that. And if anyone ever did talk like that, they would be ostracized. They would yes. be like, that guy's a weird mother. And right. we don't want to have anything to do with him because he's just freaking weird. They would silently ghost him, right? They would probably wouldn't call him out because they might be like, man, the guy's kind of crazy. He might be start, you know, he might retaliate. But there would definitely be some private or public pulling away of, from someone like that. And here's, I, I so th that actual instance, I was talking to someone, I was actually talking to a couple of my students at one of the schools I teach at. So I teach face-to-face -face twice, a, twice a week uh, at Saginaw Valley State University here. And uh, I was talking with a, a bunch of students. I teach this higher uh, level um, mass media class and we were talking about different things and stuff. And, you know, someone had brought that up and they were, they said very similar to what you were just saying and how he said that. And I said, I want you to meditate because I teach argument writing and research writing and we're looking at this through the rhetorical lens. I said, I want you to look at what he said. Let's break down what he said. I said, because I grew up, I was not very sheltered. I grew up and I heard men talk that way, sometimes to me. And uh -huh. I was very young. And so I learned to be a little graceful about it, um, to kind of expect it that, you know, guys are just going to talk that way around me or guys are going to say those types of things to me. And I guess I should take it as a compliment that, you know, okay, I'm, I'm right. Comparable to, to those types of people. But I said, let's break down what he actually said. Cause I'm not offended by the thing he said that everybody's hanging up on. I'm offended or alarmed by the context that he attached to it saying he was above consequence for that 
And I said, we're all looking at the wrong thing. And if we keep looking at the wrong things, we're never going to fix anything in our society. If anything, we're just going to keep perpetuating the hate and the division between anybody who doesn't see that situation the same way. And it, and by design, isn't that how the people who have all the power, that small amount of people who have all the power, they want us to be divided in talking at each other and never really getting at the root of things. So I'm like, you know, I'm... You're right. Guys say really weird pornographic things. They 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 pick up things that are from fantasy world or gaming world that are like I don't even know why these things exist and why anybody would think that there's something desirable to be heard or repeated, but we have a whole culture of of young men, same ages, 14 and I'm going to say 14 to 34 who have grown up with easy access to the most vulgar forms of entertainment that are do not mimic should never mimic how real life or real relationships happen but but that's what we get so we get you know the pickup lines that come from it or the locker room talk that comes from it and all the other things in between which is another right alarming thing uh, problem but if we don't um look at the problem here which is a man saying he has and he will continue to do whatever and have whoever he wants because he is the all-powerful person who can do that. So that was the thing I was hung up on. I thought that's the rape culture that we have allowed to cultivate in our culture. And it's not unique to the, you know, to the United States, but it is um, uh, very prevalent in, in our culture. Uh, and I can't even, I keep tracing back and I can't even find where it starts because it just keeps going farther and farther back. I mean, I'm at the, the biblical times at this point and I'm like, and here it is here also. And so I, we just need to identify what the real problems are. And I think it come, it does come back to that power element and the lack of consequences. So if you think about my situation, which was, you know, just the physical assault one, um, I, Police didn't do anything. Principal didn't do anything. I didn't know there was a superintendent at that time. I probably could have reached out to them, but I probably wouldn't have because. How, how old were you? 15, maybe 16? I was, um, I think I had just turned 16. So, no, so how, actually, how... I was not. I was still, no, wait, wait. No, I was 16. I, I'm sorry. I was almost 17. How can we expect as, as a culture, a 17-year-old kid, who to go against the quote-unquote powers that be, to go above principles, to get the superintendents, to go, and, and nobody's supporting her all the way through. How do we expect her to do that? And the other thing I wanted to ask you about before we have to go, because I'm, I'm becoming a firmer believer in this. I was reading an article the other day that said that um, um, porn is one of the largest industries uh, that we have going right now. And more uh -huh. people are watching porn. Younger kids are watching porn. It's easier to get their hands on it. And nine out of ten um, uh, presentations that are done by these folks presents violence against women. And, yes, and um, almost, let's see, just under 80% that they're reporting now are non-consensual situations. And, and, and people don't, you can't just differentiate. So, I mean, sometimes you, you could probably look at the screen and go, is she legal? But you don't know if she's, um, if she's being trafficked and she's being forced into these things. Exactly. Exactly. It's, so it's become, I, I'm almost, I'm to the point now where because such, and I'd like your opinion on this, 
because kids are able to view it from their phones and the films are many computers that they can get on any site or if they can't, their friend can. And if you block your son's phone, then he can go to his friend and he can, you know, and so forth. Um, I am to the point where I'm advocating where parents should sit down with their kid, with their boy and watch it together. No No matter how horrific that may sound, but to to explain to him that it's not appropriate behavior. Do you agree with that or is that too harsh? I here's the thing. I think that no, I don't agree with it because I've actually had to distance myself um you know in the work that I work with sex trafficking and sexual exploitation uh, survivors. And so I believe garbage in is garbage out, but I also believe that you can't unsee things. And I do not want to see those horrific acts happening. And a lot of times those are happening non-consensually or there are situations of exploitation. So maybe there's consent, you know, so the person can say, well, they're willingly doing this, but the situation isn't, you know, pure. And um, and I've had conversations with other people, too, and they're like, stop attacking the adult um, uh, entertainment industry. And I'm like, well, I'm going to attack it all day long because there's more non legal and ethical things happening in the industry than there than there are legal and so we don't know we don't we don't know what how how that child or that person got into that particular position and then somebody throws a couple thousand dollars at them right um, you know it's it's a whole i'm I'm actually writing about it in one of my books but it takes a lot of research because uh you know just to give you the the quick version of it three percent of exploitation situations only it's less than three it's like 2.73 percent of those are the instances that we talk about where we say don't you know be careful if you're out shopping all these different things abduction 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 and like taken but that's less than three percent so there's a whole 97 percent that is all about like how the system really works, how people actually get into the exploitation and, and get trafficked. And we're not even talking about it. So nobody even knows how to stop it because nobody even knows how to recognize it. And yet talking about accountability and the power dynamics, we're profiling and grooming kids and, and, and dis- disposable human beings to, to filter into this system. And you've got people who are clergymen, principals, superintendents, teachers, all these different, you know, the, the, the lunch ladies, all these people who are in on this kind of stuff and and it's affecting everybody and everybody is a part of it or knows somebody who's a part of it. And it's devastating to think about, you know, all all the different um, things that happen that we can't stop because nobody's even looking at the right thing. And, and that kind of just blows my mind. It's like, why the heck are, do we keep doing that? It's just like talking about rape. If we keep telling girls not to walk alone in the parking lot and less than 5% of those rapes happen that way, then we're not teaching them how to protect themselves from rape if you can't even protect yourself from it or any type of assault because we're worried about the stranger, which could very well happen. But you know what? <laughs> More likely than not, it's going to happen with the guy you're sitting next to that you, you know that you think is the best thing ever to hit your life or your uncle or your cousin or somebody else. And so, um, you know, it's just like if we're not, we're not going to solve anything if we're not looking at it the right way. What is it? Like ninety percent of of uh, rape victims knew their rapist. Something, some horrible it's, number. It's more. It's it's. Um, I mean, depending on what figures you look at, it's anywhere between like ninety percent, or some people say eighty nine percent, and now it's even upwards to almost ninety five percent of those instances. Even if they knew them as an acquaintance, 
So because now we have social media and we have different dating apps and things like that that people meet on. And so that number is kind of climbing because you can't call somebody a stalker like this. You can't equate them to the same person who's stalking you in a parking lot and shoves you into your car as somebody who you've been talking to on Tinder or what's the other one, Bumble or, you know, what some of these other ones. I can't imagine going now. I'm older and I won't do it. I can't either. I can't imagine going on uh, on a dating site. And and meeting a stranger in a place that you know Ted Bundy did stuff like that when he would go to uh, um yeah. um his, now I'm he was around here in Seattle and he used to go to I remember hearing this on the radio that they were looking for a guy in a Volkswagen um, that had a cast on his arm at the uh, 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 Sammamish State Park and a girl came up missing. And it turned out that turned out to be Ted Bundy. And he was a good looking, lawyerly type uh, college student at the University of Washington. And he had this horrible, horrible dark side, which apparently I'm sad to say that more of us have that than we'd like to think. Right. Although, yeah, not everybody kills that. No. Well, it depends on what you call death. I mean, if, if, yeah. if what you do to somebody is so horrific for them that it affects every moment of their life until they're able to get together and work with you that, and, and you can, and you're able to help them get through it. Uh, that's a, that's, that's a, that's a horrible thing. And, and, and people just say, no, oh, just get over it. It's not a big deal. You right. Know? Or yeah. When, or when are you going to get over it? Which is even more because they're going to guilt you. So it's not just get over it, you know, the whole suck it up. You know, it's when are you going to get over it already? When are you going to stop punishing all of us? And and you're absolutely right. That whole death, it, it, it can feel like you're walking dead. And I talk about that a lot. That theme is recurrent in, in the in Warrior Sister, Cut Yourself Free From Your Soul. And it informs the title because you, you can, and people go through their entire life. And I run into women all the time. And there are like women over 50, most women over 50, who look at me like I am the craziest woman they've ever met because I would dare to go around. I wrote a book about it and I'm going around and I'm talking about it. One woman said, you're like the sex education lady. And I was like, well, I could do that also. And we probably, the schools would benefit for me because we could reduce those pregnancy rates. If, you know, if, if we had the right talks with, with, uh, you know, teenagers, but this isn't, it's not really sex education. But it is talking about difficult things, but somebody has to do it and it doesn't make me uncomfortable. And I don't know why it doesn't make me uncomfortable, but it doesn't. And I, there's nothing that I love more than seeing people be, be live again and be free and to be able to be blessed to walk through that with some of them and to watch them slowly grow and, and develop that self-confidence and and, you know, it's just, it's, it's wonderful to watch that and to know like, oh my God, like I helped do that. Uh, you know, I, 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 I loved on them or I, I, I was there for them and, or I pointed them in the right direction. Sometimes it's just, you're in passing and you're like, you know what? You should hit this person up. Well, and oh. I want to thank, thank you on behalf of uh, everybody and, and especially the books that you've written and the, and the more books that you will be writing. 
because I think what you what you are trying to get out there, it's it's see, I, I do akin it to uh, sex education. Like you've got uh, some charismatic or some uh, fundamentalist folks who say, no, they don't need to know, because if they know they're going to do it and if they <laughs> don't, you know, they might get uh, they get pregnant and then stuff. So we want them to not do it until uh, they they are going to go get married. And do you remember that uh, years ago, not that long ago in the 90s, there was this promise thing that that daughters were signing to their parents saying that I promised that I will save myself to marriage and and there was this little document that they did and it was going yeah. around the the churches and stuff. Well, you know what? That turned out to be nobody followed that document because no. kids it, it feels good. Kids are going to want to do it. Kids, you know, I, I love him. He's the love of my life. She's all of 15 and uh, she gets talked into doing something that, that, you know, so it's, it's like, it's, it's everywhere though, Kevin, it's it everywhere. There, the shows, have you ever watched, I, my kids were watching something. So all my kids were home. I have a 25, a 22 and a 20 year old and my 20 and 25 year old were watching this series. I'm not even going to name it. Cause I don't even want to give it glory. And they're like, mom, you can't see this. There's like explicit sex scenes in there. And you know, they're showing body parts. And I was like, and what's it targeted for 14 and 15 year olds. I was like, how is this even legal? Like what? I don't understand if you ever watch some of these shows that are targeted for t underage, like we're talking under 16 there, they can't even consent to having sex. How are you going to teach them not to do so? Not only are they thinking about what it is, somebody's showing them on the screen how to do it. Exactly. So they're not like, uh, you know, like when, when we were younger, it was like, hmm, am I touching the right way? Is, is that where that is? They have all these resources that are telling them exactly this is exactly what you do. This is how you get them alone, right? This is how you confuse the adults. I mean, they have the whole narrative planned out for them. So you better be telling them how they can help themselves or protect themselves, or even in some cases say, uh, you're moving a little too fast. Um, and feel but, uh, like and it's really hard to grade against the system when everybody else in the, the, the mass media outlets are like, you know, you need to start having sex. 14's not too soon. You know, it's, it's it's interesting. Times have changed so much. My my dad, the the closest thing that he ever got to a um, a racy movie was uh, um, like True Grit in the you know that John Wayne was in and stuff. Yeah. And and uh, um, one time we went to his house and we and we were watching um, and I didn't even think about it, but we were watching uh, um, Titanic. Because we said this is a this is a really good movie and it's a great movie. Well, we came to the scene where he is sketching her. Yes. <laughs> and of course, she's topless. And my dad started blushing because he'd never seen that in a movie before. And I'm going, God, he would have. He's he's passed on now, but he would just be rolling over if he could if he if he knew because you you see worse than that on a PG show on yeah. Netflix on the commercials. Yes. Like e even the commercials, I, there's the, like, I was just on the treadmill and there's a commercial for a back to back, like three different movies that are on. And when the lady opens up, she's having an orgasm and they're in the act. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is, I was at five 30 in the afternoon. I'm like, this is a commercial. And I'm like, uh, and it kept coming on, you know, every, every five minutes or 10 minutes that commercial. And I was just like, Oh my God, that's, that's alarming. Like that's what you picked to put in the commercial. Yes. Yeah, so, and then so, somehow that's okay. So you agreed with me, I think, that knowledge is power. <laughs> Absolutely. And it should be age appropriate, but kids mm -hmm. need to know what they're up against. Oh, I'll, I'll give you an example. 
my wife was uh, a playground teacher in an elementary school. And she had a good relationship with the kids. And the sixth grade girl walked up to her and said, Mrs. McDonald, can I get pregnant from anal sex? Oh, how old? Wait, how old? Six, sixth grade. Ah. That, would, that would make her 11 years old. Yeah. Ah. And, and it, <laughs> my wife didn't know what to say. It was kind of like, oh, wow, that didn't, I didn't, uh, uh, you know, it's one of those really uncomfortable moments. But, but the reality is those are questions that kids are asking at that yeah. kind of age. And yeah. we need to be forthcoming and honest about our bodies and about body shaming and sexuality and all of that stuff. So the, the kids know, first, first of all, the, the, the girls need to know that a teenage boy, which is why I'm glad I did not have any girls. I had two boys um, that the teenage boys are despicable in their behavior and that's what they want. And they want it when they want it and they'll do anything they can to get it. And you, you have to be very careful and by and large, but, it's not everybody. But I was going to say, but, but, even going back to that, like that kind of builds on the boys will be boys thing. And I agree, like their hormones are going haywire and definitely arousal's happening on all different sides. And they're trying to fight that. That's when they're learning about their sexuality and stuff. And um, I think that those conversations definitely are important for, for you know, to have with both um, both boys and girls. And, and you know, now we have, um, um, you know, transgender and gender non-conforming and it gets more complicated with that also and so um i think you should you know i always used to say talk to them about it where they're at so when my kids came to me and said mom what sex well what do you think it is i'd always deflect it back to see like where are they on it so i know where i have to start in the middle of this and i don't have to get into like how babies are made yet right i just have to you know so in that case my my first reaction might have been like well where did you hear that or what do you know about that and to try to gauge that so yeah i, I think those are important conversations to have and they put you on the spot and it's it's a catch-22 also because when you're a, an adult working in um a school situation and you're dealing with minors, there's all these roadblocks. And then you're like, well, gosh, if I say something and then it gets back to the wrong person, am I breaking protocol? Am I breaking the law? And am I supposed to report this to CIS? And is there, you know, is there gonna have to be a document for this? And there's all this other nonsense, which again, isn't even in place to help the kids. And so how do we navigate that? And I, you know, it's complicated, but yes, I think we should have those conversations. Answering the question you said about watching the videos, I would say pull some of the dialogue out of that and review the dialogue. So no looking at the images, but say, is this how people talk to each other? Do you honestly think a woman wants to be talked to this way? And actually go through those types of mechanics and then pull the sex out of it and just pull the, the relational things out of it or the, the you know, disharmonious relational things out of it and say, does this seem rational to you? Do we, do you hear anybody else outside of this talk that way? And what do you think would happen if you said that to, you know, if you talk that way to somebody, you think it's going to get you somewhere good or, and I think those would be good conversations. And I have actually have had those conversations with um, teenage girls and, and, and young adults because they're like, what's wrong with guys? They say these things. And I'm like, well, let's talk about where that came from <laughs> and where they even got that idea from. And, and it's and, until we get to the point where we are going to open up about it and say that there's certain things that are just not appropriate. Yeah. 
and and that right. and it's under no circumstances is that the way you talk to a lady that, right. and and no and until until that becomes the societal norm we are going to end up with with what we have until we make changes and i'm glad you're working right. to do that Thank um, you. and i'm glad i'm glad you're not shy about it either that's <laughs> that's 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 really good now i'm sure you i'm sure your boys told you that uh uh when they were teenagers Girls. Yeah. Huh? My girls. Oh, you have girls? Three girls. Oh, three girls. So, so you know, you've got all this. Did, did yeah. any of them come home? And, well, from I was just going to say that in talking about teenage boys, the first time they slow dance with a girl. Oh, God, yes, I've had those conversations. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, the, you know, they'll look at the girl and they'll say, okay, wow, this is really embarrassing, but please don't pull away from me right now. Can we just finish the song? Because that would be more humiliating if everybody else could see this also. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's it takes us back to that. I get it. Hormones are raging and, you know, those are uncontrollable things. I wouldn't say, you know, <laughs> I mean, most of the time they're uncontrollable things and so it's a tragedy of of puberty and and growing up and so yeah in that regard i'm glad i wasn't a guy <laughs> i never had to deal with that personally <laughs> happening um but yeah uh, so i can tell you i can tell you that is a <laughs> very very embarrassing thing to have to have to <laughs> Uh, try and explain away, and then and so then uh, you know it was like, well, did you enjoy your dance? She said, yeah. and, and, I, and 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 she said, uh, you're a little hopped up there, weren't you? And I said, oh, you felt that? Oh no! You know? <laughs> oh, that's even worse when you think you're pulling it up. Like oh. <laughs> you, think, yeah, you, think, you think you're hiding it well enough, and it's like, oh no. Oh, oh no. no! And my bills was bigger. I'm sorry, sorry, I shouldn't go there. So no, but it. Yeah, it's you know that those are the but those are the the healthy things that we should be laughing about and talking about that kids go through and they don't always and and right rewiring the narrative and and how we talk to them about it just because you are aroused doesn't mean you have to act on that or fulfill it. And, well, exactly, exactly. And uh, you you it's it's vitally important that uh, you even as a teenager that you yeah. have a discussion with. As an example, I got together with a girl and we did the normal thing that teenagers do. And then she said, you know, I'm not comfortable going farther than this because I don't want to get pregnant and I can't take the pill and I don't. And, and I was 16, so I couldn't go get in those days. This is the seventies. Oh, you could you not get a condom to save your life. Right. Uh, so, so we, we decided we made the adult decision to not go there right and we had a two-year relationship and everything was grand um um until it wasn't but that's you know but that the, the, so we so it is possible for kids to make an adult decision when they're a teenager when it when they get the information that they need absolutely and to and to not put the pressure on each other to you know to, to or or even the societal pressures and the community the, you know the the school community and the friend community pressures of you know how far did you get blah, blah, blah. like first of all none of your business um <laughs> but you know and those are right but a lot of wonderful i have a lot of wonderful memories you know from my own you know being a teenager similar type of situations 
Well, and I'll tell you, I was having a conversation in a car. There, we were in the front seat, and the, and she, he, the, the kid I was talking to knew my girlfriend and me, and the kid in the back seat did not know my girlfriend. And I was telling her that we're not doing anything because this is our choice. And he came from the back seat and said, "Oh, she's some kind of prude, huh?" I, I, right. I, said, I said, "Stop the car." And, and my friend said, no, I'm not going to stop the car. And I said, because, and he said, why do you want to stop the car? And I said, because I'm going to beat the shit out of him. <laughs> what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to leave him on the side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And he said, no, we're not going to do that. And, he, and the guy said, oh, okay. I didn't mean that. And stuff. But, that was- but calling people out is a good start, you know, like, and I don't think, I think there's a divide. I think there's, you know, my middle daughter, man, she calls everybody out. I'm like, mm, you got to pick and choose. <laughs> She's like, no, she calls everybody out. And then, you know, I, I think that is another start too. When you talk about rewiring, it's just like standing up and saying, you know, whether it's you personally or you see somebody else and you're just like, no, man, don't talk, don't talk that way. And I find myself actually saying that also to, you know, cause I mean, I'm sure, you know, like when you're old school, like a lot of this stuff is just so ingrained in people. They just say it, they blurt things out and it's just like, ah, and sometimes I'm more on hype because I'm like, don't talk like that in front of my kids because they're going to hate you more than they're, you know, like they're going to be offended by the thing you said. That's, that's right. In an instant they're, you know, it's coming on. They're actually going to start to hate you and I value our friendship. So don't ruin the respect that my kids have for you because they're all adults now. So, you know, anything goes in front of them. And, I, but I find myself, even when they're not around thinking, but I don't want people talking about how many people talking like that in my world because I have those three daughters and I don't want them to grow up and become my age and think like, even when it's just some irritating or makes your skin crawl, like you don't say anything. You're like, what am I going to do? I'm going to be out of place. Like, no, shut up. Don't talk that way. And so I do find myself saying that and I'm just like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm probably going to be like, she's that woman. <laughs> but <Exactly. laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, Jennifer DeBellis has been our guest today, and I could talk to this person for hours. I, I really could. She, she's really dynamic, and she's got a couple of books out, and she's got a couple more coming. Uh, how can somebody get a hold of you? So you can find me at jenniferdebellis.com. Uh, That's J-E-N-I-F-E-R-D-E-B-E-L-I-S.com. So just Jennifer with one N. And uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on all kind of stuff. Uh, oh. I just went away. Oh, I'm like, I just went away. So I'm on all types of social media on that name. And uh, my book is available on Amazon.com. Warrior Sister, Cut Yourself Free from Your Assault. And uh, oh, lovely. Am I cutting out again? Nope, you're good. Okay, Mike, because the screen keeps cutting out. And um, it's also available on Barnes & Noble. And next Friday, I'm uh, audio recording it. So it'll be available on uh, audiobook probably in another you know 60 days or so. Are you are you voicing it yourself? I am. Good for you. It's Thanks. and I hope you've got a good editor because that that that's the painstaking part. I've done them both, and it's 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 hard. Yeah, I actually met. I toured the studio yesterday. Great guy. I'm really looking forward to it. He he knows the stuff, and so worked with a lot of local uh, Michigan and Detroit talent. So uh, I'm really excited about it, and uh, have every you know confidence in it. But yeah, so you can find the book. You can find me. And uh, I'm right now doing a giveaway. So I'm doing a giveaway to professionals who serve survivors. So if hit me up if you know of somebody who could use the book. Uh, no questions asked. If they're somehow, some way serving survivors. Tell me their name and what, you know, if it's an organization or personally, and we're going to mail the book and I'm sending them out. So 
Uh, you can uh, find a um, uh, like inquiry um, page on my website, and then you can send it to me that way. It'll email. Which is jenniferdebillis.com. One N. One That's N right. is the correct way to spell the name because my ex-wife used two N's and see what happened to her. That so was anyway, a wrong spelling. <laughs> that's exactly right. Um, before we go, is there anything that you would like to tell our audience now or in the future um, about anything at all? Uh, the floor is yours. I just want to say to every person who supports survivors, thank you for the work, hard work that you do. And even if it's just listening to someone and uh you know, love on people. There's so much power in loving people back to loving themselves. So, you know, that's that's probably the best advice I can give. And and just, you know, be there. Be be a good be a good ear. You are awesome. And can I can we do this again? Absolutely. I can talk to you all day too. <laughs> <laughs> cool. What we may do is uh and stay here because I want to talk to you about coming on KKNW. I think you'd be very helpful. Okay. Um, that's a live radio show in Seattle. So in any event, stay right where you are. I got to do this. I'll be right back. Thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of KMmedia.pro. Please visit our website, oddly enough, named KMmedia.pro for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to each other because each other's all we've got.